Welcome to Dev Tools Topia, where we have casual and unpretentious conversations about developer tools and the future of the software industry. I'm your host, Kate Catlin. Hello and welcome. Today we are talking to Dan Moore, who is the head of developer relations at Fusion Auth. Uh, Dan and I have been friends for a long time. He's one of the best people I know in Colorado uh, and so excited to have this conversation with you, Dan. So thanks for making time in your busy schedule. Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Uh, So today we're going to talk about auth systems, which from my perception, um, I never heard about auth systems until about I don't know, three, four years ago. And then all of a sudden, everything had an auth system. Like, there's nothing in my life that doesn't touch an auth system in some way or another. Um, Just starting on that note, am I bananas? Have auth systems have always kind of existed in some form or another? They've just got more complicated? Or did that shift really happen? No, I think they've always existed, right? Or, well, always is a long time. But uh, I think I looked it up and there were driver's licenses issued in like 1903 was the first one. And so you can think of that as an offline auth system, right? Where it's, it's someone you know, you know, you, it's issued by somebody and it proves who you are. And it, to some extent, it lets you control what you can do, right? You can, you're allowed to drive. So uh, that's the way I can look at it. It's a bigger oh. picture thing than just a, like a piece of software. Interesting. Yeah, I always think of auth systems as just like those third, like third-party authentication uh, systems on your phone. What What do you define as an auth system? Sure. Do you want the kind of tell tell me like I'm five year old definition or the kind of developer focused <laughs> definition? Yeah, let's start with the tell me like I'm five definition, and then we'll do a more technical one. Sure. So to me, uh, kind of the the basic definition is. And what I explain when I'm talking to you know family or friends who don't really know about software development, what do you actually do, Dan? Um, I say, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like what you do when you sign up for Gmail and log into Gmail. It's like that piece of functionality. And from a developer's perspective, kind of the simplest definition is you know create table users with a login and a password and an ID column or columns. So the bigger thing is authentication is who you are and authorization is what you can do, which is a little more dynamic, but um, that's all encompassed in, in the Gmail example, right? You log in and it knows who you are and then it gives you access to your mail and not anybody else's. So it knows, knows somehow what mail you have access to. Interesting. Okay, so much more broad uh, than I think, than at least I always think of first when I hear about auth systems. So, so what is there like a source of your passion about auth systems? You know, I, I, I was thinking about this a little bit and I remember kind of my first job out of school, I uh, was, you know, worked on a consulting company, worked on several different projects and I realized there was this commonality of authentication, right? Like, Almost every system, I'm sure there are systems that don't have it, but almost every system has a concept of a user because otherwise it's not a super useful system. Um, you know, you might have data processing systems that don't have users and whatnot, but most interactive systems do. And so I just kind of saw that and it, it didn't jump to my f- the fore, but I did end up writing a, a paper on, a, not really a research paper, but a, kind of a tutorial on Jazz, which is a 
Java authentication authorization service, I think. Anyway, it was an early standard uh, in the Java world. And then um, more recently, it's been kind of about auth and APIs, right? So that's OAuth and that's, uh, you know, or API keys. There's a number of different ways to do authentication, but I kind of was interested in APIs and as a follow-on, authentication was part of that. And then this uh, opportunity to join FusionAuth came up and that was like a chance to really dive deep into both standards based stuff. So that's OAuth, OIDC, SAML, things like that. Um, and then some more custom stuff that FusionAuth can do that other places maybe can, other software systems can't. But I mean, I guess to me, the thing is, it's, it's like a super broad topic because it affects everything, um, who we are, and especially the more things get disintermediated by the internet, um, it just becomes more and more important. Yeah, uh, and let's, let's get into that a little bit more. Um, but before we do, you mentioned FusionAuth. So you work at FusionAuth right now. What, what does FusionAuth do? And who are the other big players tackling the auth systems and, and how do they compare? Great, great, great question. So um, FusionAuth is a drop-in identity store or auth system or user management system. There's a couple of different pieces that all kind of mesh together. And you get to, as the developer, pick which ones are actually important to you. Um, not in terms of like, checking the boxes and getting like a, a customized um, executable, but more just like which APIs you interact with. And I would say that, you know, where FusionAuth stands out is um, pricing model. It's kind of like a, a tech disruptor kind of pricing model uh, where a big chunk of our functionality is just free for anybody to use forever. And then we also have the ability to self-host. So you can download our identity management system and host it wherever you want. Like you can put it on a ship going to Antarctica or whatnot. Uh, so the other kind of providers, I kind of put them into four buckets. So there are the modern auth providers, of which I would count Fusion Auth as one. Um, Okta and Auth0 are definitely other ones that you've probably heard of. They're big, big companies. Um, there's some cloud vendors. So every cloud vendor has their own authentication system. Cognito is an example with AWS. And then there's legacy solutions out there that are a lot of things have been built on top of um, Active Directory, LDAP. And then finally, uh, another competitor out there is open source libraries for every framework, right? Like Devise for Rails is, I would consider that to be an auth system or have components oh, in it. Oh, okay. And then the last thing I would say is, um, you know, um, a lot of people roll their own. And I think that don't do that. Pick one of the four previous choices uh, <laughs> unless you have very specific needs, right? And if you have specific needs, uh, I would still evaluate the other four kind of buckets to see what things make you, um, make you uh, solve your problem because the honest truth is no one, uh, authentication isn't really a differentiator, right? I mean, it's a, this, this necessary but not sufficient aspect of any application. And so why would you waste time building something that is not going to differentiate you. It, it drives me nuts a little bit. Yeah, that, huh, that is something I hadn't thought about. So this is a tool that you want to make as plug and play as you possibly can. Yep. And thankfully, there are good standards, right? So the standards don't get you everything you need necessarily, but uh, OIDC, which is, stands for Open ID Connect, 
is built on top of OAuth 2 and very good about giving profile data. And there's a lot of providers out there that just accept that. Um, SAML is a little more old-fashioned standard, kind of from the mid-2000s. And there's a little more like, that's more enterprise-y. And, um, you know, but definitely look for those kind of things with your auth provider, for sure. Gotcha. Okay, so so let's rewind in time a little bit to 10 years ago. We're in 2020. So thinking back to like 2010, how have auth tools changed in the last 10 years up till now? Like what's been the trend? Yeah, so I think, you know, you talk about... Um, you know, 2010, Okta was founded in 2009, and Auth0 was founded a couple of years later. Um, OAuth1 was set up in the mid 2000s, and SAML was going strong. And so there are a couple of other enterprise SAML providers. So you know, the standards were starting to happen. Um, over the last uh, 10 years, another version of the OAuth standard came out, and OIDC came out. And so I think also the sassification of everything came with Auth2, right? It, it happened in the Auth world. So Auth0 is one of the uh, big movers in that space. And so I think there's been an explosion of, of that where people are like, hey, I can't outsource this. And then the other thing that's happened is there's just been, and I'm sure password breaches happened before, but there's just been a ton more uh, compromises. And so things like, have I been... Uh, pwned has have come out uh, over the last years, and I'm not sure when that started. I think four or five years ago, but um, you know, there's been an awareness of, oh gosh, this is an important thing, and maybe just like I don't want to build my own database, maybe I don't want to build my own auth system. Have I been pwned? I forgot about that website. Um, that's interesting. So then, as we look towards the future. This is becoming more and more important for all the reasons you mentioned. How are auth systems going to change or evolve over the next one year? So I would say that OAuth 2.1 is coming and that basically is just a codification of a bunch of best practices that have happened over the last eight years since OAuth 2 was released. Um, More and more passwordless and single sign-on, I think it's just it's getting kind of pushed through the, um, I don't want to say the enterprise, but I think more and more people are expecting it. And passwordless, you know, takes a couple of different forms, but it really is about you, what you actually have as opposed to what you know. So that could be an email address, it could be a phone, um, it could be a, a token or a YubiKey or something like that. And then MFA is big. Uh, just because I think most people, more and more people are realizing that, uh, especially for crucial accounts like Google accounts or whatnot, like it really is painful to <laughs> be compromised in a way that, um, and there are more and more people trying to do that than, than it was 10 or 15 years ago. And then the last thing I would say, well, two more things, more breaches are going to happen next year. I'm sure of it. That's almost yeah, a guarantee. Almost certainly. Yeah. And then um, WebAuthN is something that's really exciting. And that's um, kind of public key cryptography like built into your browser so that you can, if your device has biometric or other kind of capabilities to identify you, it makes it just much more transparent, much more easy to for websites to kind of accept that kind of authentication as opposed to username and password. Whoa. So like, so, so interesting. So right now, like my iPhone, it scans my face and decides whether or not to open. So you're saying that could very soon start integrating into my laptop and get me into 
I don't know, my Instagram account or whatever it is I'm trying to log into. Yeah. I just, I just actually watched a demo recently where someone uh, on an Android device uh, logged into PayPal. Ident- you know, authenticated with PayPal based on, I think it might have been their fingerprint on their Android phone. So, you know, and as websites start to like accumulate this, like it's going to be easier and easier for us to uh, authenticate without remembering passwords, which is great because passwords are not great. I mean, okay, so I knew this was coming eventually, but over the next year, I don't know why that surprises me so much. I guess it sounds so soon. Should I should I be scared about that for any reason? I mean, well, you know, it's always uh, it's always iffy to predict about the future, right? I, I right, just know right. that the that all the major browser vendors now support this, right? So now it's a question of implementation throughout the rest of the website ecosystem. I should you be scared? I mean, I would definitely put a, a pin on your phone. Um, a if you don't have that phone or whatever, like some, some way to secure your phone. So that if someone just grabs your phone, they can't unlock your phone. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, is it, I, I don't know that I would be scared. Uh, I think it's actually going to be good because it makes it easier for normal people to have secure authentication. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess the thing that scares me is I've heard, you know, with the iPhones unlocking when they see your face, there are concerns about like the police maybe opening your phone without your permission by pointing it at you. Like there's some ways that people have brought up that there could be could be issues with biometrics being the way that we open things or authenticate things if we didn't True. necessarily give permission for our biometrics to be used. Sure. Um, is anyone thinking about that? Is it like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. I have not thought deeply about that. I mean, I guess what I would do is if I was concerned about that, again, this gets where, to where having a pin, if you can do both, right? Again, any, you know, biometric alone or password alone are less secure than together. So, you know, put a pin on your phone. I don't, I don't, I don't use iOS, <laughs> so I can't tell you exactly how to configure it, but uh, I bet there's a way you can have face and pin be required. And then the police couldn't unlock your phone by just taking a picture of your face. Right. Interesting. Okay. So there will be layers of opt-in to this. Like it it won't Mm -hmm. be like, and tomorrow, this is the only thing we use. Like you, you will, you will make your own choices about how to authenticate things. I mean, it's, it's hard to know exactly, certainly next year, right. When it's just rolling out. um, I think that um, I have, I have participated and built websites that did not allow you to log in except for via social login. So that's a kind of example. And it's possible in five years, there will be websites that won't let you do anything except for biometric login because they really want that level of security, but uh, not in the immediate future. I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? Okay. So let's look out further then. So 10 years out from now, how have auth systems changed? Yeah. So again, more, more data breaches, right? because there will, I guarantee you in 10 years, there will still be some sites that use username and password. Uh, just uh-huh. like there are probably some government places where you need to go now where you have to like fax something. Uh, so more data breaches. Uh, there is a third version of OAuth coming out. They're working on it right now. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it got released in the next two or three years. And uh, then I guess more, you know, this, the web auth and stuff just getting kind of more fully fleshed out is what I see in, in the next 10 years happening. 
That's super interesting. What about like a hundred years? Are are we going to even have auth systems in a hundred years? I mean, I always think about that movie Minority Report and people just walk around and they scan your eyeballs. Is that, is that the future we're headed towards? It sounds kind of dystopian, right? Um, well, that well, I mean, movie it's, was it's, intentionally dystopian. <laughs> so. Fair. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, like I was thinking about that question and, you know, I think if you look back a hundred years, the authentication methods that we had then, right? Like signatures on a check could be some, you know, in some sense might be an authentication method or certainly the driver's licenses we talked about earlier. And it's hard for me to kind of, you know, think that whatever we're doing now is going to seem as primitive to people a hundred years from now as driver's licenses, you know, paper driver's licenses due to, due to us. Uh, I think biometrics are really, you know, if you can get the accuracy really good. Um, and then, you know, you always wonder about, will we all just kind of be chipped? like the way that our pets are now and you just wave it. And again, it's a trade-off, right? I mean, uh, it would be with strong cryptography and, you know, um, it'd be a very strong, easy, convenient indicator. And who wouldn't want to just pay for their things by like, you know, waving their hand and having that go against their credit card. I mean, in some ways that'd be, that'd be nice. I went to Amazon go. Have you been to an Amazon go? store yet? Not yet. I've read so much about them though. Yeah. I went to one in San Francisco a couple months ago and it was creepy and weird and wonderful, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. uh, I, I, but I don't have any great predictions about anything else that's kind of, um, more evolutionary than that. I think that would be revolutionary enough, which in a hundred years probably isn't, I'm probably not forecasting out crazy. I'm not thinking crazy enough, I guess. That's probably accurate. Like if we had asked someone in 1920 how we would authenticate who you are in 2020, there, there'd be no way they could conceptualize how things have changed. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, I've read, I've read that like the modern technology sphere is basically a constant trade-off between what is convenient and what is your privacy. Like you're, you're constantly choosing between convenience and privacy in almost all of the decisions you make. Yep. Is that kind of what you're seeing as well? I think that's absolutely true. And I, I would go further and I'd say that we say we want privacy and we actually really want convenience. Like, uh, like Ooh. nine times out of 10, I think, I think, no, I think honestly, which is why I think you got to have, um, and that's at an individual choice. Right. Um, and you think about like the, the, um, Oh, what's the word? The loyalty card, right? Your King Supers or your grocery store, you know, you are probably going to use that. And it's not, not, that's not a convenience thing. That's more of a money thing. But I think that... Well, having it, more it, money is convenient. It's true. Um, at an individual level, I think most people will choose convenience 90% of the time, which is why I think it's important for bigger organizations, you know, society to like take steps to enforce privacy. I mean, the Fair Credit Reporting Act of the 70s didn't happen because people were like, oh gosh, I need my credit reporting. It happened because people came, I mean, groups of people came together and, and realized this was actually a, a real issue and it needed to be solved at a bigger level. Ooh, fascinating. Um, wow. Well, there's so much more we could dive into there. Uh, but let's wrap up for today. Um, where can people see more about your projects or your work or reach out to you? 
Sure. So I'm on Twitter at MoreDS, M-O-O-R-E-D-S. And then obviously, uh, FusionAuth, we have a blog. If you want to learn more about FusionAuth, the website, FusionAuth.io. We also have a section I want to call out, which is our expert advice section, which is basically articles about auth and identity and security that are not FusionAuth specific. So if you want to just learn more about the industry in general, I really encourage you to check out that expert advice section. Fantastic. And we will link to all of those URLs in the uh, podcast description as well. Dan, thank you so much for a fascinating uh, and, and surprisingly you know, philosophical conversation about auth systems. Uh, looking forward to more sometime in the future. Thank you for having me, Kate.